Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. She ended up hiring me first on a temporary assignment to, for actually a cover shoot with Serena Williams, which she did not say when she invited me to accompany her on set and to work for her as a production assistant that day, but that became the beginning of this like kind of Cinderella career story that unfolded because of this black woman who existed in a space I'd never seen another black woman thrive in. And, and she took me under her wing and she hired me to come to New York to work under her. And um, that was the beginning of my career journey. Hello, and welcome to the Wannabe Podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at the opportunities available in the creative and entertainment industries so you can get to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I'm, of course, your host, Imriel Morgan. Thank you all for taking the time to check out episode 101 with celebrity hairstylist Lacey Redway. If you missed it, you know what to queue up after this episode is done. Obviously, go and listen to it. Today's guest was a dream and a pinch me moment for me. Elaine Welteroff is a journalist, editor, and New York Times bestseller. You might recognize Elaine because she was the former editor-in-chief for Teen Vogue. She was the second youngest editor-in-chief of a Condé Nast publication, as well as the second black woman to hold the title of editor-in-chief. Elaine was responsible for steering Teen Vogue into politics and social justice. Some might even say she made it woke. In today's episode, Elaine talks about her role model, how she landed her first opportunity working with her role model. We switch it up and talk about what it means to be audacious. We talk about intentions and self-care. Elaine also shares why she no longer overworks and so much more. You're gonna love it. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? That's a great question. And I think there are two answers. One is it really wasn't about who I wanted to be, but what I wanted to be, which was anything but ordinary. I wanted to be great. And I knew that early on. I was just like, I want to be great. (laughs) You know, I am so grateful, eternally grateful that a woman named Harriet Cole came into my view because I really didn't have a lot of role models of black women doing extraordinary things in this world in my network. So that's part of why I was sort of scrapping together some concept for what greatness looked like for someone like me. And it really wasn't until I found out about Harriet Cole that I could say with confidence, this is a woman I want to be like. And uh, she became that for me. Uh, She became my professional role model. Um, And just a little backstory on Harriet. She was, at the time, a magazine editor, a pretty legendary one. Mm -hmm. She was a multiple-time best-selling author. She had a syndicated national radio show, which 
basically just, you know, in millennial terms means podcast. <laughs> what yeah. become a podcast. <laughs> she had a television presence. She was an authority on all things fashion, black culture, and spirituality. And I did not know until being introduced to Harriet that you could be more than one thing or that you could carve out an intersection for yourself. This was the first time I saw an example of someone who created a, a job title for themselves that was encompassing of all of their gifts, all of their talents, all of their interests, all of their passions into one multifaceted career. She became my uh, role model and the person that I wanted to be. That's incredible. She sounds amazing. At what age did you come to find out about her? and what she was doing. I was reading an Ebony magazine, <laughs> which was my mom's magazine. I never read Ebony growing up. I was a big, I was an avid essence reader, but I ended up anxiously reading anything I could put my hands on for for guidance. And um, I came across a story that Harriet had written about. Uh, she was the editor-in-chief of, of Ebony at the time, and she wrote a cover story on Alicia Keys. So I read that and I Googled her name and the rest was history. Once I read her bio, it was like, being in a dark room searching for the light switch and then suddenly the light going turning on like that it was like going from the dark to the light like finding out about Harriet was the light bulb that lit up my future literally laid out the steps for me so I I proceeded to stalk her and eventually (laughs) call with her and the rest is sort of history she ended up hiring me first on a temporary assignment for actually a cover shoot (laughs) with Serena Williams, which she did not say when she invited me to accompany her on set and to work for her as a production assistant that day. But that became the beginning of this like kind of Cinderella career story that unfolded because of this black woman who existed in a space I'd never seen another black woman thrive in. And, and she took me under her wing and she, hired me to come to New York to work under her. And um, that was the beginning of my career journey. That is insane. (laughs) Do you remember what you actually first wrote to her when you tried to kind of like make her your mentor? Do you remember what you said? Oh my gosh. Well, first, before even getting her email, I got her assistance email and I would write incessantly and call incessantly. (laughs) And I was basically just begging for an informational phone call and um, they thought I was insane. And they, one time I offered to fly there to bring her coffee and her assistant was like, do not fly to New York from California to bring her coffee. And I think that was sort of the final straw that made her think, let me just put this crazy girl through because at least she'll stop calling. And that's how we ended up talking. But I do remember I, I, uh, my first point of contact was I made a full-on magazine. Wow. Where like a rendered, you know, mocked up version of a magazine where the cover was my, co- it was essentially my cover letter. It was like, the picture was of me and the cover lines were like, is she the one for the job? And like, read on to find out why. Like this, you know, 19 year old college student from California is your next, you know, beauty or whatever it was. I think I was applying for editorial internship. And then like, I wrote like an editor's note, which was basically my full blown cover letter. And then inside of the magazine, I had like all of my clips from my college newspaper and, 
you know, some stuff that I had written, um, pitching myself, my, so all my clips. So I was a total nerd and I was totally, uh, extremely determined and I was relentless in my pursuit of reaching this woman of, of, of getting on her radar. And it worked. It worked. I don't necessarily recommend it y'all like at all. I mean, <laughs> now we have easier ways of contacting people you can just slide into the dms of someone you look yep. up to but i even don't recommend that <laughs> you got to be clever you have to be uh intentional in your um pursuit of a mentor but you also have to you know there's well whatever we haven't gotten to that party the conversation yet but i will say i don't necessarily recommend that i do think if there is someone you you think that you can add value to their enterprise and you think you can learn a lot from them do your research before you reach out and really be prepared for the chance to sit in front of them or the chance to speak to them and don't throw away that opportunity because if if i had gotten my shot with harriet and you know, hadn't been prepared with questions, with insightful questions, with really something to say to her that would make her remember me, it would not have panned out into, an you know, her inviting me to work alongside her. I had to really do my homework, do my due diligence to make that shot count. And even mm -hmm. then, it's a lot of it's timing. Like if she didn't have an opening in her department, it would have been a non-starter. I could have been in the most, I could have been the most impressive young person she'd ever spoken to. But if the timing wasn't right, it wouldn't have worked out. So you also have to have like backup plans. You have to have, I had plan A through Z of how I was going to become Harriet Cole, <laughs> you know? It just so happens I was extremely fortunate that my plan A, which was stock Harriet, worked. <laughs> That is very fortunate. Yeah, but I was prepared with all my backup plans. So I think that's that's an important takeaway, I think, from that from that story. Yeah, I also think what's quite important is that you had gone above and beyond to show value in the first place. So you made a magazine, which is her business. And I don't think we can underestimate the importance of kind of showing your skills and showing and not telling. And so, yeah, that that definitely probably spoke volumes as well as all of the incessant phone calls and emails. That's incredible. I'm just curious as to where you think you developed or got the confidence or even like where you got that like audacity to like dare. I guess like where did the daring come from? Do you think? Jeez, you know, during the process of writing my book, I started to think about that question and I went back to the beginning because I think that for all of us, there's so much buried there's so many clues about who we're meant to be that are buried in our past when I was three years old I was uh, I had asked my mom to put me put me in a pageant and she acquiesced and she said that when we were backstage right before we were about to go on and by the way at three years old everyone else in my category went up with their mother and that was just mm. customary and you know their mother would walk them out they'd hold their hand They'd be too shy to talk, and then some of them would cry, and then they would leave the stage. But my mom said that right before we were about to go on, that I tugged at her her skirt, and she leaned, she kneeled down, and she said, I, I pulled my thumb out of my mouth, and I said to her, I'm going to go on by myself. <laughs> and she was like, excuse me? She was like... <laughs> I didn't know whether to be proud or offended that my three-year-old 
was firing me on my first big job. You know, I thought we were doing this together and I'm getting fired, pushed to the side. And um, she said, I went out there and I grabbed the microphone. I told them my name and I told them a story. <laughs> and when I was done with my story, I blew them a kiss. I handed the microphone back and I walked off stage. And she said she was literally, she was laughing. She was shocked. She was, she was just like, who is this child? Like, where did this child come from? No one told her to do that. You know, like why, who gave her the audacity to your question? I won that pageant and they gave me the crown. And I, there's still pictures to this day that it's just so funny. I was so proud of the crown that I had earned that my chin was so like up in the sky, like you couldn't even see my eyes. I was smiling so big. And um, I didn't know that I was at the time, like I was the only black girl in that entire, you know, competition. I didn't know that black girls, especially from my town, don't get to wear a crown. I didn't know that I was the squattest little thing in there. You know, I, none of that, I didn't know I had a, you know, an Afro that wasn't necessarily seen as beautiful by the, you know, Eurocentric definitions of beauty. None of that faced me because I didn't know. And so that confidence was innate. It was like, (laughs) I'm here to do my thing. And, you know, and I don't, I don't know where the hell that audacity comes from, but all I know is I definitely over time lost it. And the world has a way of chipping away at a woman and especially a black woman's confidence and sense of self, um, and sense of agency and, and, uh, that sense of limitless possibility and optimism where anything is possible. Like we're all born with that, no matter whether you were born with that same level of audacity or not, you know, maybe, maybe yours looked different, but I think we are all born with that sense of possibility and that limitlessness, but the world is what chips away at that. And so I had heard this uh, stat that said young girls' confidence peaks at age nine. And when I read that stat, it really stopped me in my tracks. I found that stat when I was working on my book. And that is really what inspired the structure and the title of my book, which is more than enough, because it really called into focus that we are all, all of us as women, particularly black women, we are all on this similar universal trajectory where we are born into the world with all of the confidence in ourselves and what's possible. And then the world chips away at us. And if only if we're lucky, will we have the opportunity to fight back against all of that conditioning to reclaim the confidence that we had when we were nine, you know, we want to go back and find and, and, and rediscover those parts of ourselves that we've left behind along the way. And that's really what my book ultimately is about. It's, it's my story, but it's really all of our stories. So that's a long way of answering your question, but I think (laughs) there's a lot in that question, you know, and I think it's a question that anybody should, any woman should answer that question for themselves. Where did you get your audacity from? Or when did you leave your audacity behind? (laughs) Yeah, that's a better question for sure. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I do think you're right. It does take um, some introspection. I think I have been doing some of that soul searching, possibly because of this podcast and getting to ask so many phenomenal people about the work they do and the fact that they seem to have 
taken bold, decisive and daring moves. So it kind of forces you to like reflect on your own life by comparison. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But I do think you're right. There is something, um, a lot of the opportunities or things that have come in my path that aren't necessarily opportunities, just things that I have kind of worked hard for and acquired or desired there's always a part of me that's like, oh, no, that's not for me because like black people don't do that or black women don't get those kinds of opportunities. And like it is important that we are audacious and bold and ask the big questions and ask for the things that we want. And it's quite nice to hear that you did that and got there and have taken on like some you have like some incredible achievements. I really want to know what is great for you now. Like you said you always go after what's for greatness and to be exceptional. So what does what does that mean now? That's also a good question. I think I'm I'm redefining the, what that means to me now. Um, but certainly, I think greatness for me is operating in pursuit of a goal that once felt completely outlandish and unattainable, and really committing myself to it, seeing it manifesting it, taking the necessary steps every single day to get closer to it. Um, so that that's it. I think it's like I had a really big mountain to climb in, in terms of going from where I started from to figuring out how to break into the fashion magazine world and then, you know, figuring out how to climb those ranks and um, get to that, that position that I was in at Teen Vogue Editor-in-Chief. But you know, by the time I got there, I really started to set my sights on on new and different challenges professionally. And I felt like I had kind of done what I came to do. And I felt like I was my spirit was readying me for the next mountain to climb. And so, you know, I think leaving when you're supposed to like walking away when your present no longer serves you is a scary thing to do. But I think that's what keeps you on the on the on the cusp of greatness you have to keep chasing it it's it's not something i don't know that you ever attain fully but i think over time i've made more space for gratitude and peace with mm. where i am and how far i've come and like not to let that slow me down but to really balance out what my life can look like while in pursuit and that's where i'm at now that's where i'm at you know balancing peace with the pursuit. That sounds great because I think something that came up for me when you were speaking was I guess what 
rolled as being content play. How are you finding the peace and and, um, what are you doing to kind of cultivate that in your life now? I think that um, staying connected to what feeds me, like, and also I think your pursuit should be full of fruit. You know, the, the fruits of your labor should taste good. You know, you should, (laughs) you should like be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Otherwise, what's the point? And the labor itself should be in itself part of the joy. And that's when you're pursuing your passion, when you're pursuing a job that feels like it's aligned with your purpose. You know, I think it doesn't always feel like work. Now, don't get me wrong. It's any pursuit towards greatness is hard as hell and is going to come with a lot of unexpected challenges and, you know, it's going to test your limits for sure. But I think that hopefully the goal is to commit yourself to a pursuit that is fulfilling in and of itself. Even if you never achieve the big, big goal or the, you know, you don't get the outward trappings of success like those things shouldn't be the motivator because those things are not promised at all. Really, the work is the only thing that you're that you're promised is <laughs> more work. And yeah, <laughs> so it's got to be fulfilling, I think. And then I think, um, you know, I, I got to a place where I was really out of balance, I would say, where I, I um, my whole life was work and uh, to the detriment of my health and my relationships. And and I it happened over time, it wasn't something I really realized what's happening until, you know, I looked up and I was just like, this isn't sustainable in more ways than one. So I, I don't know, I, I kind of made some decisions. I had the privilege at that point of being in a position to make some different decisions about how I set up my life. And at that point, I was able to go out on my own and and um, take a bet on myself, which is scary in a lot of ways. But when you have a strong vision, it makes it less scary because at least you can see it and yeah. um, you have a plan. And so, yeah, but I think for me, how do I cultivate joy and peace? Um, I have pruned my life of... I like that. Pruning your life sounds good. <laughs> yeah, or edited my life, so to speak, plucking out the energies sucking people and things that that don't really add value and I feel like I really do create like I create space in my life for the relationships that fuel me and um that's been a big like life-changing shift I would say because I feel like I I'm never on e whereas before I felt like I was operating on e and I what I realized is you can't be great when you're not giving yourself the fuel you need to continue to do your best work, like you, you have to be able to um, create joy buckets, which is a tactic I learned from my, my fellow author friend Priya Parker when I was writing my book, because writing a book can be all consuming, like literally mm-hmm. you eat, you don't, you could just forget to eat and sleep and just be on your laptop, just toiling away and it could become torturous and she said to me, you got to, you got to schedule joy. You got to, you need some joy buckets on your calendar. And I'm like, what the hell is a joy bucket? And she's like, just like you schedule meetings and calls, you have to schedule time for joy on your calendar and just put it on your calendar from six to nine, 
you have a joy bucket. You got to dip into your joy bucket. And I'm like, okay, well, that sounds so kooky, but I did. And I will tell you those. And, and each time I didn't know like what joy would look like in that window. Mm-hmm. I'd be like deep, deep in work and I'd be like, God, is, there's no way I can stop now. But then I, I made a commitment to myself. It was a meeting. You wouldn't, you wouldn't stand up someone for a meeting, right? So you can't stand yourself up. You got to go, you got to go do, find the joy. So I'd be like, all right, what does joy feel like right now? It feels like pizza or, you know, it feels like going for a run or it feels like, you know, when I was on a writer's retreat, it was like, I want to go find a waterfall. And like, I would go do those, whatever, whatever felt like joy in that very moment, I pursued it for that window of time. And I am telling you every single time, it gave me so much more fuel to come back and do the work I me- was meant to do faster, more efficiently, more effectively. I felt more inspired doing it. And so it made mm. me realize like, this is an aha moment. Like this is, how have I been operating like without this forever? Um, and now I do that. Like, you know, I don't do it in the, the tactical way. I do think that's a good tip. I think hopefully people listening could try it, you know, put it on your calendar. We got, we got to like schedule that kind of carve out that kind of time for ourselves, especially when I was, as our lives become more full with families that we're responsible for. Um, but even if it's like, even if it's literally 10 minutes, even if it's just, you know, a few minutes, I think it makes such a difference because you're not running on E. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try that. I have a little self-care jar with loads of things that basically give you joy or make you happy and then you go to it and then you open up the piece of paper and then you basically have to do that thing right then and there so whether it's like eat a banana or go for a walk take a bath um read a book so yeah I think I've got I've got the tools I just never use them so I'm definitely going to try scheduling them in Mm, I love that okay so you got you got a little gem from me but I got a gem from you too I'm gonna make a little bowl yes and that way when I have my joy moments if I can't get creative enough like I, I can just dip into that that's yeah, awesome brilliant yeah I can't wait to try that I'm gonna let you know how it goes um I know that intention is a big thing for you so I would like to know what are you being intentional about right now oh, what I'm being intentional about right now is rounding out my life, (laughs) my life skills, I would say, like learning how to cook all the things that all the skills I never cultivated in my 20s, because I was so hyper focused on my career. I am now taking this moment during Corona to commit myself to learning those life skills. Like how do do I survive? (laughs) Like if this is truly the end of the world and and our survival is depends on our ability to do the very basic life skills, like cook for <laughs> ourselves and, you know what I mean? Be healthy yeah. enough to run a bunch of miles to get away or, you know, be able to fight something off. Like literally that, that is what I'm doing. I'm like in a boot camp right now. I am cooking. I am nice. for the first time in my life. It only took a global pandemic to introduce me <laughs> to my kitchen. <laughs> brilliant um final question what is the best advice you've ever received and what is the worst advice you've ever received Ooh, probably the worst advice i've received was was once the best advice i received and it's the advice i used to give 
out all the time. And oh, it really? was, yeah, it was a quote I found online from, this is random, but Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> it said, <laughs> it's so random. And it said, bite off more than you can chew and chew as fast as you can. And I just remember finding that in my early 20s when that really defined my strategy <laughs> in my pursuit of success. And I, I related to it. I was like, that's it. That's, that's the secret to success right there. And I would tell everybody of my, you know, my interns or whoever was on my team and my friends. And then I burnt out. Mm. My body just gave up, was giving up on me. I lost so much weight. I, I just was malnourished in some ways beyond physical. Um, and I just realized like, maybe there's another way, you know, maybe that wasn't the right, maybe that wasn't exactly right, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm now sort of operating under a slightly different premise, which is, you know, bite off what you can chew, chew as needed, <laughs> digest fully, and make, make, make time to laugh. It's good for your digestion, you know? Like, it's like you don't have to be, you don't have to take yourself that seriously all the time. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, but I also think there's different seasons for different, there's different reasons, different seasons, different, you know, I think that I probably needed to spend my 20s the way that I did. That probably was in some ways like the only, my only mode of operating mm -hmm. for a reason, but it afforded me now the perspective to say, okay, that's not really how you need to operate forever. You know? Yeah. <laughs> There's an end date on that, on that MO. So that's what I, I mean, that, I hope that answers, I think, both of your questions. I think the same piece of advice could be the best piece of advice in one part of your life and maybe not the best for the rest of your life. And I think it's really having the discernment, cultivating the discernment to know when something, when someone when some job, whatever it is, is no longer serving you and being able to pivot and move on. Amazing. That's great. And you're right. I definitely think I have been doing the, the first part for most of my life. So I have learned the discernment to just chill the hell out and focus on the joy giving parts for now. But thank you so much. A huge thank you to Elaine, who was an absolute joy to interview like hands down one of my faves of the year one go and get her book more than enough available in all good bookstores and of course on audible and two follow her at elaine welteroth on instagram her feed is pure joy for updates on wannabe follow content is queen on twitter at content is qn and instagram at content is queen hq if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends via your Insta stories. We've pulled some amazing quotes from the episodes which you can reshare via Instagram and Twitter. Also, we started doing some how-to, so if you're interested in podcasting, head on over to our Instagram at contentisqueenhq. To get extended show notes listing any of the tools and resources we've talked about on this episode, visit wannabepodcast.com. This podcast is proudly a Content is Queen production. A huge thank you to Ellie Clifford for making these home recording edits work. Thank you for listening and until next time. Bye.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.